All right, Acts chapter 8 is where we're at tonight as we continue our journey through the book of Acts. And uh, it's certainly been in, uh, kind of a blessing for the last uh, few weeks looking at Philip and his uh, willingness to follow the Lord and leading there and seeing God do great things through him. One of the things I like about uh, our text even this evening is that uh, we have what we would call here a regular guy, yet he was anything but regular. He wasn't like uh, many of uh, it wasn't just a pew warmer. He got busy for the Lord. Uh, but Philip was not a pastor. He was not in a position of authority. Uh, he was a deacon, which means servant. And uh, he was, uh, he, yes, he was what everyone was that ought to be in the Christian life. Uh, we uh, call him uh, Philip the Evangelist, as is identified in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, is where he is identified as the evangelist. And the word evangelist means a bringer of good tidings. Now, all of us, would you agree with me, should be a bringer of good tidings, shouldn't we? Especially in a day like today where there's a lot and a lot of negativity on our airwaves and uh, there's never been really a greater need for good tidings than right now. So in our text this evening, Philip is a part of a divine appointment and every one of us ought to be willing uh, to be used by the Lord in his divine appointments. His divine appointments are often at our inconvenience. Sometimes uh, his divine appointments are a frustration on our part. It takes stepping back sometimes and recognizing that uh, these, uh, some, sometimes things are not accidents. Sometimes God allows things to come in our way, whether it be a flat tire or whether something breaks down or uh, we have a, some kind of problem that allows us to be put in the path of someone who needs some of those good tidings. So, we ought to be willing to be used of God for a divine appointment. I want to read tonight Acts chapter 8, starting at verse number 26. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, and to the way that goeth down from Jerusalem into Gaza, which is desert. And he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia and eunuch of great authority under Candace, the king of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? <laughs> what a question for a Christian. Amen? Wow, what an opportunity. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went both down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. He went, by the way, down into the water to be immersed. Amen. That's the... Uh, biblical mode of baptism, immersion. 
And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. I want to just talk to you tonight about a divine appointment. Father, I pray you'd help us these few minutes together, that we would see a challenge in your word that would spur us to do more for you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we, we see in verse 26 here a strange command. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem into Gaza, which is desert. Now, this is a kind of a strange command because it's a vague one. Uh, Philip, just start walking down this road. Just go this way. Go this direction. Not, I have an important person for you to speak to. Not wait till you see who I've got lined up for you. Just told him, go down this way. Uh, now, by the way, why didn't the angel go himself? We see this throughout the Bible. Because there is a mission here uh, where a man is worth more than an angel. Uh, in God's plan of salvation, it is for redeemed sinners to witness to other people for Christ. Uh, to do the work that no angel could accomplish. The best the angel can do is to come as a messenger from God to tell a man to go and visit someone and tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Now, another part of the Gentile world is about to be contacted through this Ethiopian convert. Uh, Philip, again, by the Holy Spirit, leaves his ministry of waiting on tables or waiting tables or being a deacon in the church to make contact with this man. By the way, I find it amazing in the Bible every time I see an instance of how God puts a value on one soul. Isn't that a blessing? Sending him all this way, Jesus went out of his way for one woman at the well in Samaria. In Mark chapter 5, he went to the country of the Gadarenes for one man. Here he sends Philip on a long journey for one man. Uh, soul has great value to the Lord. And I believe strongly as well that if someone is seeking the truth, God will get that message of truth to him. I mean, I'm hearing in college all the time, light obeyed increases light. Light disobeyed increases darkness. And if, we, uh, if, if we, we see examples, I believe even in my own dad's life, uh, someone who was thirsting for the truth and God sent a man, uh, something that just never happened to witness to him, uh, and here this happens as well. If someone's seeking, God will answer that. Now, if Philip was surprised to go to the desert country here of Gaza, he had no hesitation in obeying. Uh, the angel of the Lord left him no doubt where he needed to go, and uh, so he went. Now, behind the command that the angel had for him was the foreknowledge of God. This is vitally important for us to remember because God knew all about the Ethiopian. God knew the position he held. God knew the, uh, why he had come to Jerusalem. God knew the deep, unsatisfied hunger in his heart. God knew he was on his way home. God knew exactly where he was on the road. God knew what book he was reading. God knew all of this, and that is the perspective he had in sending his man to go speak to this Ethiopian eunuch. There's a lesson here for us that whenever we get the impulse from the Holy Spirit to speak to someone or to give someone a gospel check, oh, friend, we better obey because we don't know the soil, but God does. And when He encourages you or you get that, uh, that message that I, I believe if any of us here who are Christians who have a desire to witness, we all know what I'm talking about, that talk to that person. That person needs to hear the gospel or that person needs a gospel track. 
we need to obey immediately. God knows the soil he's asking you to plant in. So you may uh, look at people and you might decide that they would never listen or they wouldn't be interested or they're too rich or they're too poor or they're too important or they're not important enough. Whatever we think, uh, God knows the heart of the ones he sends you to. Uh, so we witness here one of those amazing meetings that takes places sometimes on earth, the ones that I believe the details are arranged in heaven and determined and directed by the Spirit of God. We call them divine appointments, and that's what we have here this evening. We have a divine appointment. We need to be sensitive to divine appointments. I challenge you tonight, would you commit to God that if He creates a divine appointment in your life, even if it's at your inconvenience, you'll obey, you'll go, you'll talk, instead of letting frustration build up. I remember years ago when we were traveling as a family, we were going to visit my cousins in Kentucky from Missouri, and about halfway out, uh, which would be about four hours into our trip, our car blew up. Uh, it was a, I believe a timing chain or something went on it, just uh, it was one of those cars where we just left it where they towed it to. It wasn't worth trying to keep. It was a, we, we were big believers in clunkers. Amen. We went from buggies to clunkers. That was a nice move, but uh, it was good to be gone from them too. Uh, but it, but uh, we were frustrated. Here's our trips. You know, all of our kid, all of us as kids were bummed out. I remember when the tow truck driver came to pick us up. He piled us all in the tow truck and uh, hooked our car up, and we're heading towards the closest town. And my dad, now because I was a heathen at heart still, uh, I always groaned when he started doing this, but he started preaching to him and uh, giving him the gospel. He says, hey, you know what, sir? He asked him his name. He said, you know, I don't believe this is an accident. And I want to tell you while we drive, if you'd let me tell you what God's done in my heart. And he gave him the gospel, gave him the uh, whole, I was always afraid, guy's going to unhook our car, kick us out on the side of the road when we stuck again. But, but uh, my dad was faithful. And uh, it, that was a divine appointment, the way he looked at it. And that's a blessing to me. If we can look at those times in our life, not as just bemoaning the trouble that's befallen us, but maybe God's put someone in our life, or maybe God needed us to break down, because here's a heart that's hungry for the gospel, and we need to talk to him. Let's not fight divine appointments. Look here, the Bible says in verse 27, And he rose and went, Behold, a man of Ethiopia. This is a, talking about the eunuch's social status. A eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and come to Jerusalem for the worship. This is the first of three incredible conversions that we're going to see in the book of Acts. In chapter 8 here, we see the conversion of an Ethiopian, a black man, a representative of the family of Ham. And then in chapter 9, we'll see the conversion of, this, of Saul of Tarsus, a, a Jew, a representative of the family of Shem. And in chapter 10, we'll see the conversion of Cornelius. Uh, he was a Roman citizen. He was a representative family of Japheth. Uh, these three great racial families are now made one in the family of God. Now, I've said it before, and I'll stress again, the greatest answer to the problem of racism is this book right here. Amen? Uh, all the ground is level at the foot of the cross to anybody who will come and accept Jesus Christ. So the curse uh, of Babel, which forced God's division of mankind, is reversed in the local church as he uh, commands them to go to all the world and preach the gospel. 
Now, the Ethiopian here may have come from the area of Africa we now call the Sudan. Uh, Christianity came to Ethiopia early. It was probably introduced uh, into the country by this man. There's a, a lot of secular history about this Ethiopian eunuch that he took the gospel back and, and uh, made a great impact for Christ. Uh, the, the, uh, in, in the east here, the, the, just talking about the Ethiopian eunuch for a second, eunuchs often achieved great uh, positions of power. Uh, the phrase here the Bible uses is of great authority. It comes from a word that literally means potentate. He was a high-ranking official. The Bible goes on to specify he was, in effect, the secretary of the treasury. He was a big man in his country. Now, he seems to have been a God-fearing Gentile. The Bible talks about him coming to Jerusalem to worship. As a eunuch, he could not be a full uh, follower of the Jewish religion. There's a restriction in the Mosaic law, Deuteronomy chapter 23. But somehow, he became convinced that the truth concerning God would be found among the Hebrew people. And Jerusalem then would draw him like a needle draws a compass, and that's just what happened. He came to Jerusalem, the Bible says, to worship. Now you can imagine his expectation as he came and made this pilgrimage to the holy city. There he would learn the truth. There he would be among God's people. He could visit the temple. He could walk the court of the Gentiles. He could talk with the rabbis, the priests, and the Levites. His position would give him access to members of the Sanhedrin or even the high priests. We know in the Old Testament, Naaman, uh, the leper, he had access even though he was a foreigner because of his high position. Uh, you can imagine his high hopes as he sets off on this expedition but evidently, as he's now on his way home, he has met with only disappointment. He has come across materialism, hypocrisy, intolerance, and above all, the deadness of Judaism, which has really nothing to offer but religion. And for a person that is seeking the truth, religion does not answer the question. It just never fills that void. How long was he there? I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. I wonder had he come across any Christians in the court of the Gentiles? Had he heard Stephen preach? Had he run into Saul of Tarsus? Maybe he had a conversation with Saul of Tarsus. We don't know. The uh, Bible doesn't give us those details. All we know is that he came to Jerusalem to worship. He was now returning home. Jerusalem had left him dissatisfied, disappointed, and now his search is where it ought to be in the Word of God. Look at verse 28. It was returning and sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. Maybe he had bought a copy of this Old Testament book of Isaiah while in Jerusalem. Uh, by the way, if so, that was a really good purchase, amen? That's a great souvenir for him to have. Uh, he had not found what he wanted in Jerusalem or in Ju Judaism. Maybe he would find it in the Scripture. Uh, verse 29 through 31, we see here the command God gives Philip again. The Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. There's that word then again. We've seen it several times throughout this book of Acts. Uh, the then, uh, he was faithful here. Then God gives another command. Then he's faithful there. God gives another command. We ought to be faithful to the thens of, of, uh, of what God has for us. Obey what you know, and I'll open doors for you. Obey what you know, and God will... Let you know your next step. It's a good principle from Scripture. Remember, he had just sent Philip on a hike. That's all he was. He was just, go this direction. Walk on this road. That's all Philip knew. He listened to that. Now he had the next command, go join thyself to this chariot. Now, 
Think about the mindset of a Jewish man, a commoner, so to speak. And here comes this royal procession of this high uh, position of an Ethiopian, a whole different country. Imagine the hesitation you might have to approach a person like that. Uh, Philip probably expected to be blown off, uh, but, but he was sensitive to the Spirit's leading, and he did what God told him to do. We are not called to decide in our minds whether somebody is worthy to hear the gospel. That's not our job. We're just to tell them. It's not our job to determine if a certain social class, high or low, is, is someone we just avoid. We just need to be faithful in giving the gospel. We're called on to speak to those that the Holy Spirit has prepared their hearts for us. Go near and join yourself to this chariot. The Holy Spirit is the Lord of the harvest. And it's a great thing to be so in touch uh, with heaven that our witness is directed by the Lord. Isn't that great? Uh, we see that with Philip uh, because he was an obedient son of God. Now, uh, uh, earthly son of God. Look at the compulsion here. And Philip ran hither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? See Philip run. <laughs> That's good stuff. He ran to obey what the Lord tells him to do. He did not procrastinate. He did it with enthusiasm. The desire of the Holy Spirit is very clear here that it's not just that he might miss the traveler, but that he might miss the text. All right, The timing was just perfect here. This is not... Philip's timing, it's God's timing. And he has it all worked out. The, the Holy Spirit knew just where the uh, eunuch was when he read into Isaiah. He knew he'd come to chapter 53 here. He knew just how far into the chapter he was. And so he knew the soul-searching questions that were in that Ethiopian's heart. So he tells Philip, now is the time. And Philip ran. Love it. Then look at the complaint, verse 31. And he said, Asked to the question, understand is, how can I? Except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Philip had asked, if you understand what you're reading, at once uh, you have this educated, refined man confessing incomprehension. Did not understand it. He had no trouble understanding the words, but he had trouble understanding the message. Look at what it says, the text. The, we see a text here talking about the silence of the lamb, essentially. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shearer. He opened not his mouth. What a great gospel text for Philip to begin witnessing to him. This passage is such a great text for proclaiming the gospel because it's talking about the Messiah. And so Philip took off. Uh, by the way, the Jews in that day would have trouble with this text because it speaks of Jesus Christ. Maybe the Ethiopian eunuch asked people in Jerusalem this question, and they wouldn't have the answer of Jesus Christ like Philip did. So here is a, a seeking sinner reading the Scripture. It's all about the Savior. He had come to a great passage, and Isaiah, or, uh, uh, Philip uh, introduced him to Calvary. The text tells of the Messiah, silent before his accusers. Look at what he says next. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from this earth. The word here for judgment is an interesting one. It's creses. Uh, it's a, where we get our English word crisis. Uh, it has to do with judicial proceeding. Uh, these statements 
greatly would have confused the eunuch. He saw the violent death of someone being described here, but he was confused about who it was and what it all meant. Look at verse 34. The eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this of himself or of some other man. What a great question to ask a preacher of the gospel. That's what we call a leading question with a great answer. Amen? The question is like Nicodemus asking Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? question like the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? These are easy questions to answer. Amen? Uh, Jerusalem, uh, the crowd asked Peter on Pentecost, men and brethren, what shall we do? This kind of question is an evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in the heart of this Ethiopian eunuch. He's brought this person to the point of salvation. And it's the greatest place in the world. He is really just ripe fruit ready for Philip to pick and uh, bring to Christ. And he does. Verse 35. Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Hey, Philip was a preacher of the gospel. Uh, He opened his mouth and began to preach. There's no greater joy. Listen, friends, there's no greater joy than preaching Christ to a hungry heart. It's just the greatest thing in the world as people who are dying for something and you give them the gospel. Now, Philip, uh, I'm sure, uh, would had a great time working from Isaiah there and uh, pointing, th- taking him from there all the way to Christ at Calvary. The life of Jesus, how he was born of a virgin, how he, was, uh, how he preached and how he healed and how he was crucified and how he rose again. And the eunuch, accepted the message. Look at verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? The Ethiopian had found in Jesus what he had not found in Jerusalem. And and his search was now over. It's interesting that all of his life had prepared him for this moment. I'd like for you to just consider that in your life. How... God put things in place to get you to the point of salvation. I bet if we took time, every one of us could give some kind of a salvation testimony of how God worked it out to bring that about. His his education had enabled him to read. His study had enabled him to understand and study the language of the Bible. His position made it possible for him to travel all the way to Jerusalem. His wealth made it possible for him to buy a scroll of Isaiah Uh, His interest in Judaism had drew him to the city uh, where Christ was crucified. His disappointment in Judaism had prepared his heart to hunger for the truth. All that happened and then just coincidentally, here's Philip. It's not coincidentally, God's at work here. But what God put in his place to bring him here. Everything that God allows to come into our life is significant. It's his plan. Let us not uh, get upset when that happens. From the cradle to the grave, the goodness of God is at work in our lives to lead us to repentance. Now, isn't that true in your life? I think of that in our lives, uh, uh, the providence of God. Uh, we, I, when I give my testimony, just uh, was able to do that at a, at a church here recently and, and uh, always enjoyed doing it. I gave my testimony. I always begin, my testimony begins in 1952. And it really does. Uh, I wasn't around in 1952, but my dad was, and he was two years old and got polio. And through a series of everything that happened in his life, we really can point to the fact that he had polio really prepared him for when he received the gospel and he got saved. Now, I don't know, and I've asked him, and he's not, uh, 
he's not uh, too adamant on this, but it's, uh, we're all pretty convinced if he had not had polio, he probably would not have gotten saved. Because God puts these things in our life to bring us to the gospel. Here's what we have to remember. He does that for everyone. And so when he prods us to witness to somebody or to give a gospel track, you don't know everything that's happened in their life to prepare them. Let's be faithful to get that message out. All right, verse 37. Uh, he's wanting to be baptized. This is uh, very important here, and I just want to make mention of this. I don't, make, uh, don't like to make too big of a deal from our pulpit about different versions of the Bible, but this verse is vitally important to the doctrine of baptism. Uh, in verse 37, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, many newer versions of the Bible leave this verse out completely. Uh, the ESV, the NLT, the NIV, the CSB, and other versions of the Bible, those are some of the prominent ones, just go from verse 36 to verse 38, and they just skip verse 37. That's a problem. That's a big problem for me when we eliminate verses like that. And look at the importance of this verse. Uh, if you eliminate verse 37 which is a tremendous verse against uh, the doctrine of baptismal regeneration. Because baptism does not save. Baptism is vitally important. I believe baptism is commanded, but it does not save. Uh, baptism is a picture, an outward picture of an inward decision. And so Philip, uh, we have that verse 37, because when he asked in verse 36, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip did what we all need to do. We make sure that salvation is in place before we baptize someone. We don't baptize them to save them. We baptize them because they're saved. Amen? And so he says, if, here, there's an if to baptism. You can't just get baptized because you want to. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. In other words, Philip's saying, listen, we've got to make sure your salvation is intact. You've got to make sure that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and then baptism follows that. Right? It's a very, very important point uh, in this story. Baptism is not salvation. Baptism is obedience after salvation. Now, we still do in this church what Philip did in verse 37. Somebody comes up to be baptized and, and uh, desires baptism in our church. We, we, have, uh, we set up a meeting and and uh, the deacons, they talk to the deacons, uh, all of them preferably, sometimes just two of them, but we'll, we'll set up a meeting with the deacons and they give their salvation testimony because we want to be sure that salvation is in place uh, before baptism takes place. Sometimes, just happened last year, we had a couple of children and they were very fuzzy. They, they were sincere and that's great. They want to be baptized, that's great, but they were very, very fuzzy on their... Uh, baptismal test on their salvation testimony and so we just said let's wait a little bit until there's a clear understanding here because this verse 37 is important if thou believest with all thine heart all right this is a uh, verse uh, let's see verse 38 by the way baptism is not a condition of salvation it's a confession of salvation so let's remember that uh, let's look at verse 38 and he commanded the chariot to stand still oh I'm sorry um, I'm jumping here ahead of the... Oh, and he answered, verse 37, he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's his salvation testimony. Now, he's ready for baptism. He's not ready for baptism until 
he has uh, made a clear salvation testimony. So verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stand still. They both went down, both into the water. Both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward experience. It's uh, as one of the two ordinances that Christ left with his church. It's one of great significance. For the believer, it's a time of triumph. This act of baptism symbolizes in, his, uh, in a realistic form what has happened in his heart. You're showing people what's happened in your heart. That's why we use the words that we find in Romans, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. We are identifying with Christ. For the watchers, it's a time of testimony. So it's a triumph for the believer in the tank. It's a time of testimony for the watchers. One of the reasons I love uh, being involved in baptisms, we have, we have three scheduled, by the way. Uh, we're just kind of waiting on uh, some things to fall together with the, with the virus and different things. But uh, one of the things I love about uh, having a baptism is because we, uh, people invite their family. And, and uh, recently we had a, uh, actually a couple of years ago, we had a young man getting baptized and I had two rows of Catholics to preach the gospel to and to be clear about what it is. It's a time of testimony. And so that's important as well. All right, the next verse. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. Now, it seems to me, if I take this literal, he's uh, pulling up out of the water, he's still dripping wet, he turns to thank Philip, and Philip ain't there anymore. He's gone. He's just uh, disappeared. The sudden disappearance of Philip must have left quite an impression on this Ethiopian eunuch. He was already convinced what he had heard and believed the truth, but this would definitely uh, confirm it, wouldn't it? And uh, so I think that's a blessing. Now, uh, the, the snatching away of Philip, uh, I believe, was necessary for Philip too. Uh, he might have, I mean, what would the natural reaction be of an evangelist who has preached the gospel and someone has received? He might have decided to go to Ethiopia as he had to Samaria. But the formal opening of the door uh, to the church of the church to the Gentiles was not his calling. Uh, that was the work of an apostle that we'll see later, not the work of an evangelist, which we have here. So Peter would be the one to open the door of the gospel to the Gentiles, because Peter was the apostle to the Gentiles, and we'll see that as we continue through the book of Acts. Uh, but at this time, that was not Philip's place, and so he was snatched away and taken somewhere else. Uh, no, it ends, uh, the Ethiopian's uh, testimony here ends. He went on his way rejoicing. Isn't that <clears throat> the natural outcome of conversion? Joy. Amen? Joy. Uh, so the Ethiopian went, uh, presumably, singing all the way home, excited because he had finally found the truth. I so well <coughs> remember the day when we went from religion to salvation. And what a transformation that was. I can't tell you the joy that I saw in my parents and my father, my, our home. It was just a totally different environment. Uh, there was excitement in serving Christ. I remember when we used to go to get ready for church on Sunday mornings, it was like we were preparing for a funeral. Uh, nobody wanted to go. I remember I was about probably seven years old and, and uh, I was complaining one morning. I think that's the last time I've ever complained in my life. But I was... I was complaining one morning, I don't want to go in church. I don't want to go to church. And, uh, and my mom was, of course, doing the right thing. You don't say stuff like that. We need to 
you shouldn't, that's a bad attitude. We need to, we need to want to go to church. And, and then I heard my dad, I was behind him, but I had sharp ears, and I heard my dad out of the side of his mouth tell my mom, I don't really want to go to church either. I was like, aha, he doesn't want to go either. Uh, none of us wanted to go. It's a religion, it was dead. We sure wanted to go now. It's a different story. It was joy. And that's what happens at conversion. That's what happens at salvation. There's great joy and uh, excitement in that. So uh, let's share it with others. It's so important during this time that we be like Philip, the bearer of good tidings. Let's be the bearer of good tidings. I encourage you, uh, we, uh, in, during this time, uh, even if it's more difficult to talk to people or you're not able to do so, so much more, Use gospel tracts. Every single check you send out for a bill ought to have a gospel tract in it. Uh, credit card bill, if it's an uh, electric bill or whatever it is, put gospel tracts in there. Get gospel tracts into the hands of people. Uh, get the gospel out. It'll be a blessing. You never know what God's done to prepare a heart. I can't, I'm still on cloud nine that, uh, about that Amish family I told you about this morning. I was in a Baptist church last week. And uh, God had, long, long before this tract I even put together, long before it was ever distributed, long before it was printed, God was doing a work in his heart. And it had all prepared that some faithful Christian threw that tract at the right time, right in front of him. He stuffed it in his pocket. Him and his wife are both saved. Uh, my parents spent the weekend with him last week. Uh, it, it happens to be my second cousin. Uh, my first cousin, I'm sorry. Of all miracles, some just just so happened, and the Lord used that. Uh, now they're making great advancements for their family. It's a blessing to see God work. Be faithful in giving the message. Amen? We thank you, Father, for the opportunity you give.